0: On Easter morning, you remember, uh, the two women went to the tomb and, at least according to Mark, were greeted there by a man in a white robe who says to them, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. He's not here. He has been raised. And he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So, Jesus is raised from the dead, and what does he do? He goes back home to Galilee. It's curious, I think. Uh, There's no shock and awe up at the holy city. He doesn't move against the Romans. He doesn't go up to the palace. Oh, Pilate, you made a big mistake. You know what they say about paybacks. No, he doesn't go to anybody important. He doesn't go anywhere important. He just goes back to Galilee, the same dusty little town where it all began. He said to me, as his pastor, after the heart attack, he said, when I get out of this hospital, when I can move again, I'm going to do something that I've never done before. I'm going to get on a plane. I'm going to fly out to California. And I'm going to play Pebble Beach. And I think I knew exactly what he meant. So why then, on the first day of his new life, this life after death, why would Jesus just go back to Galilee? The same ordinary Some people would say God-forsaken place where it all began. And was this received as good news? I mean, Galilee was the place that they first met. It's the place that he called the disciples. Jerusalem was the place that it all fell apart, the arrest, the mockery of a trial, the crucifixion. But now in Galilee, what would he say to them? about all that they had done or not done over the last few days. Well, they won't know unless they, too, go back to Galilee. I mean, what was so great about Galilee? What important business was going on there? In a word, nothing. <laughs> that is, nothing until Jesus got there. I mean, that's the way it was in Galilee. Uh, Think of a, a podunk town up in the UP in the middle of February. But then Jesus came preaching the good news in the kingdom of God is at hand. People left their homes. People left whatever good jobs there were to be found there. They walked away from family and friends and they followed him. Jesus really shook things up there. In Galilee. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't work. He spent so little time in the holy city. I mean he rarely went to Jerusalem. There was that one time when he was a kid but by my estimates about four-fifths of the Gospels take place in Galilee. In Jerusalem his ministry ends but it all began in Galilee and now after Easter it all begins again in the same place. He is not here, the angel says. He's not here at the cemetery. And even though you and I are so eager to be back in our sanctuary, in our beautifully remodeled church, he is not trapped in some religious place. Jesus was raised not on The Sabbath, the Jewish holy day, he was raised on a Sunday, which was equivalent to our Monday. It was the beginning of the Jewish work week. In other words, Jesus was raised on an ordinary, not a holy day. And he goes back to an ordinary, not a holy place. It's Galilee. Jesus is alive. He's loose. But he's not only loose, he's loose in Galilee. And I suppose that means there is really no getting away from him. There is no keeping him safely tucked away at the cemetery. He will live on in our memories. He's not confined to some brick structure that we call church or compartmentalized into some um, detached portion of our lives that we call spirituality. He has been raised. He comes where we live. We wouldn't go to the place where he died on a cross, so he has come where we live, where we eat and drink, where we work and play. Galilee. So the resurrection is not just something that happens out at the cemetery once. That would be way too easy. The resurrection is something that happens out ahead of us, that meets us in the real world where we live. You see, in Mark's gospel, the resurrection is not primarily belief about life after death, someday. It is a call to follow him now when the risen Jesus encounters the disciples, they're not up in heaven. They're in Galilee. They're not strumming on their harps of gold. They're pulling in their fishing nets. So resurrection is not about how one day we will live with him forever. It's not about how someday we will see our loved ones who have gone on before us, though certainly that is true. It is about following Jesus here and now. John Ortberg entitles his newest book, Eternity is Now in Session. If I am going to be with God forever, says Reinhold Niebuhr, that means I am living with God right now. Eternal life is life with the eternal one here, now, in Galilee. And I wonder... If that's not the reason why the predominant feeling when people encountered the risen Jesus, did you notice this? The predominant feeling is fear. Think of the women who went to the tomb that day. Because if he has not only been raised and he is coming back into our lives, that means there is no evading him. The messenger tells the women, go and tell others. But Mark says that they didn't tell anybody. They were so frightened. And it appears that they're not so much scared of death as they are scared to death of life. Perhaps they are scared to go home because if Jesus is there, home is a very different place. In my little apartment when I was growing up in New York, when you went in the entranceway, there was a little gold plaque just to the left of you. And it read, Jesus is the unseen guest at every meal in this house. The unseen listener to every conversation. And I need to say that my mother put that plaque there, I think, um, with only the best of intentions. But the deeper truth is that there were a lot of conversations that took place in that house that I'm sure were really painful for Jesus to hear. You see, if Jesus is there, then some of the things that we say to each other, some of the things that we do or fail to do, some of the habits and the patterns that we perpetuate and convince ourselves don't need to change Well, those are seen for what they really are. See, the real challenge of Easter is not to get you out of bed and get you to church. The real challenge is to get you to go home with Jesus, with this living God in your life. I was talking to a colleague a little before the Easter season began, and we were just kind of bantering back and forth about what will you be preaching on this year. And I I remember he said to me, you know, the thing that gets me is that they're all so ordinary. I mean, Jesus never appears to anybody up in the temple. Um, It's at breakfast on a beach while they're pulling their nets. It's doing stuff like that. These seven fishermen are all just sitting there in the sand around the campfire. It's like the first men's breakfast. I think of our men's breakfasts on the first Saturday of the month at the Avenue. It's pretty ordinary. Bunch of guys, most of them haven't shaved or showered, all gathered together. I mean, breakfast, it's the most ordinary meal of the day. Most of us eat the same thing for breakfast Every, every time we, we stagger down the stairs for breakfast into the kitchen, I don't know about you, if I don't have my bowl of Raisin Bran in the morning, I'm just not right for the rest of the day. At night, at dinner, sometimes we're having dinner more often uh, during these stay-at-home times. At night, we might even light a candle. Nothing creative like that happens at breakfast, we stagger in. That's more grunts than it is meaningful conversation. And this is where Jesus meets them? I know. There is something to be said for, you know, getting away from it all, getting a fresh look, going on a retreat. I remember talking to this guy just last year. He had been out in Utah snowboarding. He said he went to this wonderful worship service up on the mountain. He said the sun, the snow, it was amazing. That's the way to worship, he said. But there is also something to be said, according to this story, for doing what you do every day, for being where you usually are, and simply opening your eyes at breakfast. Because there is something about this God, this omnipotent, omniscient, high and holy, lifted up one, that just seems to love to meet people in the lowliest of places. And that's a good thing if you really want to meet Jesus. Because most of us live in very ordinary places. Look, Berkeley... (laughs) is not the holy city, this is Galilee. Will Williman uh, was for many years the chaplain at Duke University. Uh, He tells about a young man who apparently had a great track record as an undergraduate, very bright, went on to Harvard Medical School, and apparently excelled there as well. He came back to Duke to do his residency in immunology, I believe. And uh, Will got word that he was back in town and uh, that he had decided to become a medical missionary. And um, so he decided to invite him to his office. And he said to him, you know, how did you get it in your head that you wanted to become a medical missionary? And the young man said, well, it was very vivid. Um, We were between surgeries and I went into the men's room, you know, just to go to the bathroom. He says, I'm I'm standing there at the urinal. Um, I wasn't really thinking about God. I wasn't thinking about my life in particular. But I looked in the mirror, and there on the wall behind me was a sign that said Africa. And I just knew what I had to do. And uh, Will said to him, Bob, if ever again somebody should ask you How did you get called to be a missionary? He said, I want you to do the tasteful thing and just lie. (laughs) You're making the risen Jesus look ridiculous. Well, that's the way it happened, Bob said. Well, we don't care, said Will. We just don't like to think of Jesus working in that way. So many people, it seems to me today, are just waiting to be blinded by the light. They want to have some undeniable experience that will dispel any of their doubts. They want to have an incredible insight that will answer all of their questions and then they will really believe. And that is especially true in our society where we just love to be Dazzled. Every action movie, every um, computer game has to be more thrilling. It has to be more violent, more bloody. Every actor in Hollywood has to do something even more bizarre in order uh, to get into People Magazine. Everything anyone wants to sell us has to be new and improved. We're obsessed with the biggest and the fastest. And in case you hadn't noticed, always needing to be the greatest in history. But what if the real miracle of Easter is not only that he was raised, but that he comes to meet us right where we are? In Luke's gospel, in the story of Emmaus, um, they're breaking bread together and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Here in John's Gospel, it's while they're eating breakfast on a beach. In his little book, The Mysticism of Ordinary Experience, James Carse talks about his friend Bob and about their very different experiences of God. Bob, James writes, Bob was an Episcopalian. I'm a Presbyterian. From the way Bob talked, Bob's God was decidedly more amiable and friendly than mine. Mine was this distant, faceless entity that you somehow had to find on your own. Bob's was always there, ready to cheer you. I thought of Bob's dad, this older gentleman with these furry white eyebrows, just abounding in genuine warmth. Always glad to see you, if only for the sake of a new joke. Bob didn't seem to have to look anywhere at all. His God was always checking in. My God was more like the sky over the sound. It was gray and vast, cold and full of veiled threat. You had to be a sharp thinker for this one. And you had to work at it to get close. Getting close required dedication and sacrifice. For Bob, it was just enough to show up at morning worship, according to the Book of Common Prayer. Whether you came late or dozed off a little, didn't seem to matter. It was all the same. I wanted a God whom I could experience in some amazing way. Bob's faith overlapped so completely with his life that God was more like a companion than, well, than God. Such an experience of God seemed to me too unexceptional, too ordinary, reassuring, but boring. I was always looking for a revelation or a sign. There was something lovely in the idea that God would just put his arm across your shoulder, but still... I wanted to be swept away. You know what I mean? There was an irony here that I missed completely, he says. In the God implicit in Bob's faith, there was at least an openness to every sort of experience. No one in his variety of Christianity was privileged by the quality of their private revelation. My idea of the experience of God, on the other hand, led to a kind of religious elitism. In wanting a special revelation of my own, I wanted to be special among the citizens of the faith. The certainty I longed for would, I thought, give my voice a discernible authority, a direct route to spiritual arrogance. The story of that first Easter breakfast on the beach doesn't record any ethical instruction from Jesus. I can't find anything there that you're supposed to go and do tomorrow. Rather, I think it was told as a kind of gracious promise. And here's the promise. Tomorrow you will go back to Galilee. It may be that you're going back to your normal workplace, or it may in these stay-at-home days mean that you are staying in the same sweatshirt that you have been wearing for the last five days and you are going nowhere. But that the story says is precisely where he will meet us. He comes to us as we're eating breakfast, as we're working in the garden, as we're walking the dog. And in so doing, he redeems all of our lives, not just Easter Sunday, Easter Monday, and Tuesday. The miracle is that Easter is so wonderfully, so gloriously ordinary. He is risen, and he is going before you to Galilee. Amen.